Hello, everybody, and welcome to the Nick Lugo Show. Today, I have on with me Dr. Jeffrey Huber, and I'd love to have you introduce yourself. Uh, well, um, not sure what you want me to say, but I'm, uh, <laughs> um, I was a diving coach for 37 years and also balanced that with um, uh, my academics. So I, I coached at Cypress Community College in Southern California for two or three years, and then um, at uh, University of Nebraska, a great place. Um, my wife and I both got our uh, doctorates there, and uh, both our kids were born there. So have a special place in my heart for Lincoln, Nebraska, and then um, moved to we moved to uh, Indiana, never uh, and uh, I coached here, and then my wife. Uh, is still on faculty in the School of Public Health. Yeah, so you were, I mean, you have a, a, an incredible resume, let's say, 37 years of coaching at Indiana University. Um, you were the Big Ten Coach of the Year for, I think it was nine years straight, if I'm correct. And also, also uh, being on the Olympic coaching team for three years, all in di three specific uh Olympic years, all in diving. So just an incredible, incredible uh, resume and also coming to Indiana University to come and teach psychology. So the thing that really gets me, and I think this is the thing that most of the listeners are really interested in, is what creates an elite performer? You know, like you, you have been working with the best of the best your entire life. And the thing about diving is it's very, very mental. You know, a lot of it really has to do with the, with the mental component. So what is it that separates we'll say the weed from the shaft the elite from the not elite not only in athletics but just in terms of life uh that's a great question and i think um uh not sure where to start on that uh <laughs> i know that, that there's a number of factors that that really correlate um at least in my experience with um succeeding at the highest level the elite level and um <clears throat> So you know, I can tick off a few of them. One is, is yeah. um, I, you know, I thought about this recently because I'm going to uh, give a presentation to a, a diving camp tomorrow. But um, just self-discipline, you know, and I, I define self-discipline as doing what you should be doing, doing it when you should be doing it, and doing it all the time, even when nobody's looking. And mm -hmm. that may seem pretty simplistic, but. In my experience, you know, I mean, I've seen kids who were probably not all that talented, but boy, were willing to do everything, everything, every day. And, and that's a challenge. You know, anybody can come in and work hard for a day or two, but uh, to come in, you know, day after day. And, you know, we used to do two practices a day, Monday through uh, Friday, and then basically it's a grind. Plus, um, you know, trying to um good or great in, in your classroom and i think that excellence that's another uh, thing that I, I see with elites that excellence is something that isn't just reserved for that one particular uh, domain that you know every F aspect of their life they pursue excellence and um uh, so I, I think that's important as well um you know, i had a girl who came in as a freshman and she uh she worked really hard. You know, I, I coached her for the first two weeks and she worked really, really hard on Monday and pretty hard on Tuesday, not so hard on Wednesday, <laughs> Thursday. Mm, you know, by the time we got to Saturday, she was just kind of a warm body. 
um, you know, practice and, and very bright, um, you know, good student. But I asked her, I said, you know, what do you think it makes? Because I told her, I pulled her aside after two weeks and I said, you know, I think you can make an Olympic team. And I said, what do you think it makes to, takes to make an Olympic team? And she goes, top two at the Olympic trials, you know, which is, <laughs> I go, well, not, not really. really. Yeah. I, I go, not really. And she goes, what? She says, you know, to really dive well. And I said, no. I said, Here, here's what it's going to take. It's going to take you coming in every day and working harder than any other person, except maybe one other person in the United States. Hmm. You have to outwork them. You have to be more disciplined than anybody. And, you know, what was uh, interesting to me is that she looked at me and went, okay. You know, hmm. um, and I think, I think that's another uh, factor that I see for reaching excellence in any domain is, is your willingness to um, accept, you know, feedback with, uh, and uh, criticism in a positive way, um, a willingness to turn inward and uh, be introspective and honest with yourself and say, hey, I mean, she, you know, right on the spot, she, she said she owned up. So, you know, I have, that's how I've always done it and I need to change it and I will. And uh, uh had a nice, happy, wound up making an Olympic team. So really? I think those, those are some factors that, um, um, and I, when I, when I was in the psychological brain science department, which I loved, I mean, I had an opportunity to coach over or teach over 300 students a semester. I used to sit very first in my office and a lot of times it wasn't about psychology. It was more about you know, trying to adapt and adjust to a college life mm. and be on our own. And, you know, I went through that. I had hundreds of athletes go through that. And um, it, it's tough, you know, and, and if you don't get off on the right foot, uh, your freshman year in college, it can be disastrous. So I really enjoyed working with kids and, and sharing those sorts of things. And um, I'm in the process now of writing another book on and basically just sharing those lessons that I learned as an athlete and as a coach, uh, lessons in life, which I think are, you know, I got into because um, when I retired from sport, I felt that I, I had gotten so much from it. They, um, and I don't mean awards and recognition, but um, I knew that my life would be better because of the lessons I learned, you know, things like how to um, overcome fear and failure, you know, how to overcome doubt, you know, how to build confidence and, and how to work hard, right? How to be self-disciplined, how to set goals, all so while I was going to graduate school, I uh, coached for free at a community college, and I just didn't know that that was going to be a 37-year detour into coaching, <laughs> but uh, I always wanted to be a teacher, and whether it's on the pool deck or in the classroom, I felt like that was my, um, my incentive was to teach. Mm. Not only that, but you, you actually have a, you have an interesting reputation at IU, you know? So at Indiana, one of you, one of the things that you're known for is not only the fact that you produce elite, let's say Olympians, but also just top level performers, but you take people who are not the top and bring them to the top. So for example, uh, I would love for you to tell the story of uh, Cassandra Cardinal, somebody who was not really looked upon very highly and <laughs> has a great ending. Yeah, that's a good uh, a good uh, question. You did your homework and that was uh, perfect. I mean, she is a great example because uh, I went 
I went up to Indy to recruit this uh, girl in high school who was really probably the top recruit in the country. And um, she was at the National Training Center and she was really good. And she wouldn't give me a time of day. Wouldn't even come down for a visit. Reluctantly, they let me visit them at home. And it was uh, kind of a humbling experience. I mean, like, you know, well, you're here, but how long are you going to be here? We, we'd like to have dinner here in a bit. So um, I went home and I thought, and I, I've never been very good at recruiting top kids, but um, I think part of that's because um, I've never been, uh, I don't know, what's the challenge if they're already good? You know, I, I like mm -hmm. that process of building up people. I like, um, um, I think that's what attracted me to coaching, but building my, building them up and, you know, taking kids. I've had kids who were broken when they came to me, you know, and, and um, mentally and emotionally and uh, to see them grow and, and uh, become empowered you know, and at the senior year to become captains, all Americans really uh, very gratified for me. Um, so I went home after that miserable experience at the home visit, and um, uh, I happened to get a videotape of Sandra Cardinal, and she was she was okay, you know, and and she wasn't a great diver, but um, I don't know. I thought, well. What the heck? I'll I'll give her a shot. So I, I had her come out for a visit to Bloomington, and she um, just kind of blew me away. I mean, she she's everything I really look for. Uh, factors that um, with success. She's very upbeat, positive, very coachable. She's bright, very very um, talented in the classroom, hardworking, all that. So, long story short, before she left Bloomington, I said, Hey, you're not leaving here until you tell me you're coming to IU. In fact, I'm going to scholarship you. And she really wasn't at that level at the time. But I'm, I was never, I'm, I took a lot of chances on kids. And boy, did that pay off. And I could say that about so many of the, uh, our athletes on, on, on my, the teams that I coach. But um, she was just kind of the kid who, you know, I'd, I'd say, hey. And elite level shape. You don't look like a, an elite athlete. You know, it doesn't mean that she was out of shape, but I said, here's, you know, and she went, hey, what do I need to do? And, you know, about a year later, we took take her to meet and some of the coaches said, wow, that's, that's what we really, she looks great physically. Mm. She would do that, you know, and then I'd say, hey, let's, let's get into sports psychology. And so she would see our sports psychologist, you know, and he'd say, hey, write a journal, you know, she you know, most kids maybe would see see a sports psych guy woman once or twice, but she made this a habit. And um, most of them, you know, he really encouraged the journals and, and most of them didn't, but she would. And again, just doing it all, right? And so uh, she never really, uh, she didn't dive any platform when she got to IU and she did some minimal three meter, mm. but uh, she made the Olympics team on, on platform and three or four is almost heard of. So I give her a lot of credit and she had a great training partner, uh, Sarah Riley Hildebrand, who was really tough on her. And I don't mean that in a bad way, but it was, you got to get up to speed, you know, I'm late on this, you know, you, you don't need years to do this. And, um, um, and so I, I, I think Sarah was a big part of encouraging us Cassandra to, to get up to speed and so 
so yeah, I mean, she just she just did it all. I mean, I was never a day yeah. where she didn't come in, um, ready to, ready, you know. And, that, and again, that's tough to do. So, um, but when she yeah. graduated, she was a Big Ten champ, NC2A champ, USA champ, and Olympian. So great, great wow. story. Well, that's one of the things that I find to be the, one of the most incredible aspects of sports. You know, I have, I, I'm very into baseball and I play baseball my whole life. And a lot of my mm -hmm. friends who, who really took the baseball track, like one of my friends is playing Princeton for baseball at the moment. And the, one of the defining characteristics I've seen to differentiate the, those who succeed and those who don't succeed is those who actually for the purpose of athletics take classes like read books take classes learn the psychology behind it there's a um there's a facility a few a few about 40 minutes away from here that my friend goes to where they make sure that all of the athletes are taking specific classes and reading specific materials so that they uh, get the right mindset absolutely absolutely you gotta you know all that information has to get in there right and then, and then the great ones do something with it. They really translate that into, um, and, and just uh, my experience with uh, talking to, you know, Olympians for, you know, many years and um, is they just know a lot. They know a lot about themselves, you know, mm -hmm. what, what ticks, um, what doesn't, you know, like um, I call them like emotional time bombs, things that they can, they know that, that will get to them if they're competing. So they, they know what works and what they need to stay from. They know a lot about physics. They know a lot about um, uh, physiology. They know a lot about sports psychology. So yeah, I mean, it's it's a full gamut. And I just, um, I had a former teammate of mine when I was at Tabbers and he was at the Olympic trials um, uh, recently and ran into another teammate of ours. And, and uh, this guy really paid me a compliment. He said, you know, Jeff, Jeff was probably the best coach at seeing the big picture, seeing everything needs to be done to um, somebody um, to a level of excellence and so that's one of the greatest compliments I think I've ever had and um, so yeah it, it takes a lot and, and and I think you know you have to be all in um, I do in my class and in my one of my textbooks I talk about deliberate practice which is you know uh, fairly well known and um, it's been researched quite a bit by um, Eric uh, um, Anders Erickson and um, and that that really is probably a turning point in, in my coaching careers. In 1996, I, I read his book, The Road to Excellence. And um, a great book, and I'm sad to say that he's passed away, I think last year, but um, that really hit me over the pretty hard. And I mean, I had to take a look in the mirror at myself because um, basically the, the gist of what he was saying is it's not talent. And sure, talent's important. Not everybody can be a Hussein Bolt or Albert Einstein. But he said, you know, it's really what you do to train. And, um, yeah. you know, and he called it deliberate practice. And um, I had to look in the mirror because I, I realized that I hadn't up to that point, I'd never had a national champion. And I realized that the reason I hadn't had a national champion is because I kept telling myself, well, my, you know, I just don't have the kids who are talented enough. Yeah. And that, that book just ripped that <laughs> excuse to shreds. And I had to look at, and, and you know, I looked, I looked at all the factors that go into um, deliberate practice, and there's about 13 of them. And I said, you know, as a coach personally, I'm not committed to all of those, you know. Mm -hmm. And that changed. I mean, I was all in, all in 
emotionally, all in, I committed physically. I was teaching at the time. I, I, I stopped teaching. You know, we, we started practicing way more. I was just all in, you know, I mean, so yeah. in that I can remember driving back from uh, Indianapolis doing something. I was starting to think about the future and what we we're going to accomplish. And I just had tears running down my cheeks because I was so excited and um, so positive that we were going to get there. And um, so that made a big difference because I think, first of all, I think any coach or leader, that's where it starts. You know, what, what you hope to see in, in those that you lead, may you first see in yourself. And so I became totally committed. I became the, the hardest working. You know, I said, nobody's going to spend more time and out, outwork me on my team. You know, mm. and even though I'm not doing the physical work, I said, I'm, I'm here. And I uh, started coming in on Sundays. And uh, um, so, you know, from, wow. from that, it was a turning point. And, and, you know, then the following year, we won the national team title. Um, next Olympics, I put a, uh, an athlete on the team. The next level, I could put two athletes on the team. So it just started to snowball. So I think that to answer your question, I think that um, how you practice is really important too, because, you know, every, uh, you know, like I told it, uh, Amy, the girl that, um, you know, I said, you can be a warm body. You can be there. I mean, I've seen kids who showed up to practice and got worse because they just, <laughs> They really weren't doing anything. So you have to, and, and I think all of us to any endeavor bring, bring three, three abilities, our uh, physical ability, our mental ability, and our emotional ability, or our spiritual ability, you know. And um, the kids that I've seen succeed, they're all in. I mean, they're mm -hmm. not diddling their feet. They, they're all in. Whatever it takes, I'm willing to do that. And, and with that comes uh, uh, some caveats. I mean, like I've recognized that when you have athletes like that, that sometimes you have to hold them back. You know, I mean, I've, I've had athletes who say, go over there and do 10 of these. If you didn't stop them, they do 110 of them. <laughs> so trying to manage that. So I think it's, I talk about that, you just talk about that in my course too, that, you know, how, how to, to develop the emotional athlete that's, you know, really passionate, but then to make sure you take care of those folks that they, because yeah. they can overtrain, they can be injured, and, and all of that. So it's a it's a it's a it's a, a matter really of you know they say don't sweat the small stuff, but I think in the small stuff what is therein lies greatness. Well, I think I think one of the things that's really actually really really interesting is I just uh, <clears throat> I had a conversation re recently with another professor at Indiana University. His name is uh, Dr. Edward Hurt. And he actually had a completely different philosophy than what you just said. One of the things that he said yeah. was you know, one thing that you have to take into account when you go all in, as you said, is that it requires a lot of sacrifices. And, you know, like if you're coming in on Sundays, then you're sacrificing whatever you do on your Sundays, which is most likely going to be family time, social, social relationships, things like that. So I wanted to ask you, you know, for you and your athletes too, what exactly was it that, um, or at least do you guys have any regrets in general about putting, about going all in? No, I, I, um, what do I call it? <laughs> um, uh, in other words, um, you're not, I mean, let's be honest, you're not going to be really great at something unless you commit to it. Yeah. You have to give up some Sundays, you know, and things like that. Okay. That has to be, but there has to be, it can't be a balance. I mean, you have to, whatever you're doing, you have to be all 
plan. But there has to be some sort of compensation. Um, for example, um, you know, I went to my kids around that time and you know, tears run down my cheeks and said, hey, if I'm not cutting it as your dad, tell me right now. I mean, yeah. they said, hey, we want to see more. We need, you need to do something else. I would have gone in the, the next day and um, uh, you know, said, hey, I'm done. But they looked at me and said, no, we, we love that. We, you know, we like that. You, we know you love us and you're committed to us. And then, you know, I, I would do every nationals. I'd take both kids with me and 16 athletes. It was, it was, I'm sure I got some gray hairs doing that, but, um, you know, they were, um, it was very clear that they were my priority. And so I, I think you have to do those sorts of things. Um, very fortunate. I have two great kids. I have a great marriage. I've been married for 43 years. Um, you know, so you have, you have to find a way to um, compensate, but, but there's no way that you can be great, you know, it's just not a nine to five job. It's, it's all in. I mean, I'd get up at two o'clock in the morning, go down and start writing down things for every athlete. So, um, and I think you can do it like uh, with Cassandra Cardinal. Um, she, after she graduated, she wanted to try and make another Olympic team. And, um, but she came into my office and she was just super depressed. And, um, uh, you know, and, and after we talked a while and I listened, you know, I said, you know, it just, just sounds like you don't have enough balance in your life. And, um, um, so I recommended she, she go, go to grad school and she did. And she, she found, you know, cause part of the problem was she didn't have people her age, but when she went to grad school, she started meeting people her age. And, um, it was, and it was just something to keep her from, okay, it's not, I'm not just going home after practice and thinking about diving all day long. I've got other things to do. And I think that that's really important. And I've had, you know, I've had kids come to me and say, ah, oh, you know, I'm missing my grandma's whatever. And I go, Look, you know, we're, we train really hard. If you can't take a week off and go see your family and your grandmother at the lake house that you guys always go to, we're doing something wrong. So yeah. I've always kept, I, I feel that that's important. Um, and again, it can never be a balance, but there has to be something there to ground you. And um, you know, I had a, a girl who, she's fantastic and, and grew up in Bloomington. Yeah, you know, one time I, I went to her, I said, you know, why don't you do something Summer abroad class and take um, she went over to Florence you know, and, and studied for a summer. Came back and still went to nationals and had a great nationals, you know. So I think that's it, that, that's important. Find that, you know, somewhat of a balanced imbalance. Yeah, yeah. I mean, I think that's something that's super interesting. One of the one of the problems that most coaches have is that they struggle with getting their people motivated. Like I was on a high school varsity basketball team and on the high school varsity basketball team, we had the opposite problem. Our struggle was how can we get people motivated when we had multiple people quit on the team? You know, kids wouldn't really try that hard in practice. That was really the problem. And I think that's more of a universal problem. So how did you actually get to the problem of going too far you know what was the thing that you did that was that allowed you to motivate your people to go beyond where they uh where they would have gone otherwise well i think some of that's self-driven you know i mean there's some kids i'm you know i've, I've had a number of kids where i said hey i think you make an olympic olympic team they go meh you know, mm -hmm. so um but I, I i think that um and first of all it's a great question because it's something that's uh, faced youth participants 
towards uh, Albany. The United States concerned about that because that's you know that's the future of those you know those girls that are out there doing whatever sport. Someday they might you know one or two percent of them might become you know great Olympic athletes. But uh, the reason for that um, drop in participation is honestly poor coaching. You know, I mean, I think we've all seen videotape of uh, parents getting in a fight yeah. and coaches getting in a fight after a peewee football. That um, uh, decline is uh, poor coaching and overzealous parents. And so I tried to address both of those. You know, I had rules for parents and would talk about how they can support their, their um, you know, child in, in the right way. Um, and then I just, um, I did a lot of things to try and um, motivate them. And I, you know, I won't go into all of it because I, I can spend, that's been about three, four chapters in, in my textbook mm -hmm. on how to do that. But one of them is just, uh, um, I talk about uh, respondent conditioning, where just presenting a lot of um, really positive stimuli that, that people enjoy and uh, it's a visceral physiological reaction, right? Like, I really love this. Like, yep. um, I, I dove in a program when I was little and it was horrible. I mean, I had a coach throw a chair at me, you know, pre-body pre wow. night. <laughs> so I quit, but then that program, uh, some years later, um, my freshman year in high school, a coach came and he just made it fun. I mean, we would do silly stuff. It, and, and he took a program with about 10 kids. And, and I think uh, four years later, after my senior year, he, he moved on. He had over 100 kids. Wow. And he coached them all. And, um, you know, we would show up like an hour before practice. And he'd have to kick us out of practice because we wanted it so much. So I think there, I really, I know that there's a lot we can do to um, motivate kids, particularly young kids. Um, but it never gets, it never gets different, you know, like they, there's deliberate practice, but there's also a concept called deliberate play, right? Where you just let them play. And that was always, us, you know, it gets, it gets smaller and smaller, but it was always a part of our, our, my practices. So there's a ton of stuff you can do. And I think, um, unfortunately, there's a lot of things that coaches do that they're unconscious of, that they're using it in a negative way, right? Because we can teach people to hate something <laughs> just as much as we can teach them to, to love it. Yeah. It sounds like that was kind of the case with your team. But, yeah. um, um, you know, you know, especially publicly in front of their peers and things like that. So I really, um, when I uh, retired from teaching, um, I retired so I could take a position with USA Diving and the Director of Education. And uh, two, I started an online university called um, USA Diving Learning Academy. And some of the first courses on there were, um, one was quality coaching, you know, required course. Like, if you want to coach, here's some things you need to know. It had nothing to do with the sport. It had everything to do with just working with young people. Mm. And, then the, and then I put in uh, two or three courses uh, for parents, too. You know, here's, you know, you want to help your kid? thing you can do watching you practice mm, interesting yeah i mean one of the one of the things that i think is the most underrated parts of 
athletics in general, I think performance in general is mind state, let's say, the mind state in which you go into a specific event. So for example, especially with diving, I assume, but I, I've run into the same problem with basketball and baseball. It's like, let's say I'm, I'm going into the events and I'm in the wrong mind state. I'm fearful. I'm nervous. I'm, yeah. I'm shocked. I'm just not in that good state that, that mm-hmm. I desire to be. I'm not going to perform nearly as well. And, um, and a lot of, a lot of coaching, a lot of the, the goal of coaching is to get people into maybe, maybe a flow state, maybe an aggressive state, maybe a combination of the two, maybe a, you know, um, I'm not sure if you're, if you know that much about basketball, but Kobe Bryant was known for his Mamba mentality where he would just go full beast mode. Right. That started the idea. And, um, and well, I just wondered, you know, so as a diver, you know, I think, diving in basketball is a little bit different in terms of diving you need a little bit more calm serene and control than basketball so I'm wondering what kind of mood state are you trying to get your divers into before they during practice and during the meets yeah I do I've got I wrote a whole chapter on uh, emotion like some of the work that a guy named has done with uh, emotion and sport and basically what he, he developed was called the eyes off model, individuals on optimal functioning. And what it mainly says that there, there are emotions and ranges of emotions that are most optimal for individuals. So it's, it's different. You know, I, I tell the story, I had a, um, a girl come out of my camp. Um, she, wasn't, she wasn't very good, but I just loved working with her. She's so coachable. And um, so she, she walked on and, um, and tough as nails, you know, she'd get up on platform and, you know, it really takes, you gotta be tough to, or, or something there. I take, jump off a three-story building and, and everybody mm-hmm. thinks that water's pretty soft. You hit that water, I mean, I've landed one time, I thought I hit a piece of concrete in the water, but uh, wow. Um, but she was tough, but she'd get in the meat and she would not perform well. And so I went over to one of my divers and I said, hey, I just want you guys to know, I'm not mad at Lori, I love her, she's awesome. But I'm gonna, I'm gonna, jack her up a little bit here, you know? So I went over there and she's a goddamn, you know, one person. I, I got really up in her face. And I said, listen, I'm tired of this blah, blah, blah. You get up there and you blah, 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 and do it. Now, and then I turned around and I looked at the athletes and my mouth kind of like, well, I hope that helps. <laughs> and so she got up in the meet. She got up in the meet and dove great. And after the meet, I said, hey, Lori, I'm sorry. She goes, no, no, I needed that. I needed that. Mm. Well, fast forward, maybe four, four years later, I had another diver, same thing, tough as nails, tough as nails. I mean, you know, I, I, you know, I've, I've, I've coached some incredible women, um, and it's incredible men too, but so anyway, long story short, I tried that same approach with her mm-hmm. and it was a total disaster. It did not work. <laughs> really? But we found out, and we, I tried these things during the season for the smaller meets. So, you know, my, my goal is to maybe lose the battle, but win the war, you know, championship. Yeah. So it didn't work for her, but we found out what did work for her. So my point is that, that there are different emotions and different ranges of emotions that work well. Um, you know, I had a guy, his, his brother's um, Andy Roddick, the tennis player. I don't know if you know him. He was, no. um, he won the uh, U.S. Open. Wow. But, um, anyway, his brother Lawrence, before a meet would, you know, I'd look over there and he'd be all mad and, you know, I'm great. And this happened a couple of meets and the first, year I was coaching and finally went over and I said well 
Lawrence, why are you, what are you oh, pissed off about? Why are you mad? And he goes, I, you know, I find that when I get angry, it helps me compete. I yeah. go, oh, wow. Okay. So, you know, everybody's different. I had another guy who his anger would escalate into rage and fury. And when that happened, bye-bye. He needed yeah. to take himself out. But he also, took, you know, so we worked on it. And I think that this is the longer I coach, the more I got into sports psychology and really what you were talking about, like, what is the mindset you want that's going to work for you when you head in there? And, yeah. he, and he, he told me some years later, he said, you know, it took me a couple of years of working with you to find that place. And he called it that place that I can go to where I know now I'm ready. Yeah. Because before I go to business, competitive business meeting, I already know I had because of what I learned so I, I get to that place and I'm ready I'm ready to perform so that's a great great um, observation I think you may have done yeah I think a lot of coaches don't see you know yeah well I mean one thing I would definitely want to expand on that idea I mean it's so so interesting because what it really happens is you have to deal with things like focus you know focus is one of the most difficult problems that every athlete has to deal with attention, focus, you know, I play basketball and it's weird, you know, it's weird that in basketball, I will take a jump shot from the same point, let's call it a free throw, right? And the thing about a free throw is it's the same free throw every time in bowling, you do the same bowling every time Uh, I play cornhole with my family, you know, all the time. And in cornhole, it's the same throw every time yet And in diving, it's the same dive every time, yet there's so much individual variability between how I do one day versus how I do the next day, whether I make the shot, whether I miss the shot, and well, how focused I am. The thing that I've been able to derive in my own life is it's all about how focused I am. If I'm focused on making that free throw, then I'm going to make the free throw nine times out of 10. But if I'm not focused, then I'm just going to kind of throw it somewhere in the general direction of the basket and and maybe it goes in, but most likely it's luck. So how do you cultivate that focus that we'll say mindset of focus within your, um, within your divers? Well, it all starts in practice first, right? I mean, if you can't do it in practice, don't expect to do it in competition. I don't care what it is, you know. If you can't hit your free throws in <laughs> practice, why do you, why do you expect to hit them? And I think that that's a good starting point for a lot of a lot of athletes, because you know I've had kids come out of finish a meet and they go, boy, I don't I I really performed poorly today. Yeah. I said really well, you know. I said just being honest, but I didn't see you do anything in the meet that I don't see you do every day in practice. Mm. Like, well, what? Well, I said, well, what do you, what do you think? You can do it poorly in practice, you know. I <laughs> and that I mean, I can tell you as an athlete, that totally changed my. I mean, I one day I came in had a great practice. I go, man, I'm ready for nationals. The next day I came in had a totally crappy practice, and I go, well, wait a minute, who's going to show up at nationals? Yeah. The guy yesterday or the guy today? And I said, you know, the only way I can assure myself that, you know, the day before a guy will show up is that I don't have any bad days. Mm. And that, you know, you talk about focus. That's, you know, I mean, that changed everything. I mean, yeah. I got up there and every, every dive was like critical. You know, it was important. This is a meter, you know, focus. And, and I think that that, that sort of, focus becomes a habit and so does you know being 
you know, unfocused, you know, I think, yeah. so I think it starts at practice because you can't, can't, you know, can't have one without the other. But having said that, you know, I'm sure you know of guys who can hit a lot of good free throws in practice, but you know, okay, now when the, uh, the meat rolls around, uh-oh. Yeah. You know, so, um, uh, and, and then I, um, in that case, you know, we do a lot of, a lot of preparation, like um, scenario practices. Um, Visualization. You know, visual, yeah. I, yeah. I, I have um, like five pillars of mental training that I really, uh, over the years, more and more started emphasizing from day one um, and saying, look, you know, mental skills are just like phys physical skills. They don't get good without you practicing them. Right. Mm. And you can't, you can't rely on them. You can't draw on them. Um, if you're not doing it every day in practice, right. And outside of practice too, like Greg Luganis, uh, you know, Olympic gold medalist used to tell me that he, you know, he, he visualized everything hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of times a day. Yeah. yeah over and over again. And not, not just doing things perfectly because, you know, we don't always, you know, he told me, he said, you know, if you have a perfect takeoff, it's pretty easy to hit a dive, but, but the great ones can hit a, hit, hit the dive with an imperfect takeoff. So he would visualize, you know, being over the end of the board or being back, being too close, being too far out. He visualized every scenario so that what happens is when you're in that situation, you've been there so many times that you already know how to react. So we do, we do a lot of, a lot of visualization. I'm a huge proponent of self-talk. Um, you know, we, we listen to a lot of voices throughout the day, but the most powerful indeed is that small voice in our head. That's, you know, um, I've had some real success with kids who were negative. You know, I had this one uh, girl come in her freshman year and she, um, you know, she'd do it, whoa, you know, and, and this would go on. And it would it would devolve. I mean, it would get worse and worse and worse until she was just an emotional wreck, just you know, for all intents and purposes, over. So, and great, uh, great person, great athlete, and she wound up going on to have a lot of success. But I and I said, you know, it's okay. It's okay. I've sucked. It's it's not okay to say that you sucked. And furthermore saying the dive suck doesn't tell you what to do on the next one. So, you know, I went yeah. home and had her develop a whole list of phrases that she could use that were positive, that were her directing her, because that's what you want self-talk to do, right? To, to uh, enhance your emotions and your feeling of optimism. And, and you wanted to direct your focus and tell you what to, what to focus on, you know? So I said, you know, you could come up and say, hey, that dive sucked. But on the next one, I'm going to do this and it's going to be much better. Yeah. You know, and I said, try that. And that really made a huge difference. I mean, first of all, we started getting through practice without her breaking down, you know, emotionally. And uh, man, she just, on there, it came down to the national championship team title. And she was with uh, Cassandra Cardinal as a synchro partner. Mm -hmm. And they had to hit their back two and a halves in order to, to move up high enough. Otherwise, we, we do not win this team championship. And when I went over to her and I said, hey, you know, once you do this, this, and this, and you know, you know, then I didn't say like, hey, you gotta do this to win, but just make sure go out there and perform, do the things that you can do. She went out and it was her, it was her worst dive. She just nailed the hell out of that. 
Mm -hmm. We won the national team title, team championship. <laughs> so I, I just give her a lot of credit. And, um, she's done great. She went on and um, um, is a optometrist now. So, wow. you know. that, that story actually gave me chills, just so you know. Oh, thanks. I felt it like ran down my spine. <laughs> <laughs> but one thing that I, um, I did want to ask was, especially I think this, I find this really important, is um, how, what do you feel or how do you feel about rituals so a ritual before a dive a ritual before a game you know what is your philosophy behind that and definitely expand oh yeah they're huge and um, there were two is uh, pre-performance routines and there's also pre-competition routines so you pre-competition is what you're doing leading up you know it could be the day before two days before the day of um, but the pre-performance is what you do um, right before you perform yeah and um uh i think it's huge and uh, i really uh had my divers outline a, a very specific pre-performance routine because a lot of them would do it but they wouldn't be conscious of it you know they wouldn't understand the importance and so we started to get the, i started then to be, become really conscious of that because you know we talked about that place you go to to perform that's part of how you get there is that pre-performance routine. So I think they're really, really important. And I don't care if it's a business meeting or, you know, baseball or whatever, um, you know, we teach that. And so so what are the tenets of a, a good routine? I know there's definitely some general guidelines that you, that you would give. Well, I think it depends on the sport, you know, um, and, and um, the uh, demands of the sport. I mean, for diving, it was, you know, for example, I had Christina Lucas, who was, um, really had a nice pre-performance routine, went on to make uh, two Olympic teams. And um, wow. for her, you know, <clears throat> she wouldn't watch the competition, usually just kind of be in a corner. She had on headphones, particular type of music. And we would, I would have athletes really throughout the, the year find music that helps them kind of get to that place they want to be. Some people mm. like upbeat and, you know, some people want calming. So it's, again, it's, there's a variation of, um, among the individuals. So, um, and then we just had a routine where she would come over. I would usually give her one or two um, points, keep it very simple. Then she would go over and then she would visualize a dive and rehearse mm -hmm. the dive and rehearse it maybe like six or seven times. Cause there's a, there might be like a 15, 20 minute gap between rounds of dives so she, and then she would rehearse that and then she um climbed the ladder you know throw her chamois down and then she would uh do a little bit of self-talk and then um, a little bit of what i call energy management so it was always fun for me because the last thing she would do right before she'd take her approach was she'd just give a little <laughs> just a little breath out and she, as soon as I saw that, I always thought, here we go. <laughs> so I think those are really, really important. And I like um, uh, Ken Revisa, Revisa, I can't remember. He does a thing, he's a sports psychologist who works with baseball players. And um, he's got a thing for pitchers. Was it the seven, seven R's? And I think that's really helpful too. So what, what it is, is kind of a pre-performance routine. Of, let's say you're a pitcher and you throw, throw a pitch and, he gets knocked out of the ballpark. Well, you got, you know, you got two choices. One, you can 
fold up the tent, pack it in, and go home, or you can recover and back yeah, for your next pitch, right? Yeah. <laughs> because there's a lot more pitches than um, um, I think that's true for anybody, whether it's a, a golfer who it's a you know bad tee shot or something. You have to recover from that. Um, yeah. And those those athletes who do, um, I, I think those are the resilient ones. That, you know, they can weather the storm. So. He, he did a nice thing where he's like, he recognizes his situation, take work. Because, you know, like <clears throat> in diving, if you miss a dive, I mean, I can tell you a diver, it's like, damn it, I knew I could do that dive better. Why did I miss that? And so it would be real easy for me to think, be thinking about the last dive and have it roll over and affect the next dive, right? And so yeah. you got to be able, and so um, I think that's, um, that's a perspective that's important to, to um, coach yeah that's one of the things that we really really learn in basketball and baseball too it's a really really important tenant of just the fact that all right you know especially you know in baseball right in baseball you fail so many times you are expected to fail 70 percent of the time and not get a hit it's like how miserable is that and you would be like you I, I don't, if, you're, if you're bad 300 you still look good yeah exactly like you're amazing if you fail 70 percent of the time so <laughs> it's incredible to see how how somebody will take that failure and make an error on the field or have it affect their next at bat you know and one of the one of the biggest problems that baseball players struggle with and the same thing goes with basketball if you watch james harden in the playoffs just now he was struggling with the same thing something like the yips something like a slump, you know, these things are, are completely psychological yet baseball players still haven't figured out how to avoid them. And, um, yeah. and it's, it's incredible to see how the psychology plays out in those people. One of the things that I really yeah. want to ask. Yeah. yeah, sure. Go. No, go ahead. Yeah, no. One of the things I really wanted to ask you is to, to see um, how have you seen this play out and how has your research been able to prove that, these same psychological concepts actually play out in academics too. So the same, the same problem of going on a, a slump, how could that actually translate to an academic slump? Well, I, you know, first of all, um, oh, Goldberg, I can't remember his first name. Um, Dr. Goldberg's written a couple books on, um, one of them is called Slump Busting. And uh, he's really done some good work with that. So the first thing you want to do is make sure it's not a technical issue. So like if you're talking about sports, it's like, well, maybe you're in a slump because you really are need, need to make some corrections. And, and, you know, in academics, it might be, well, you're really not studying the right way, right? Or you're, you know, you're yeah. reading the book, but you're not, you know, you're, you're, you've got to condense it and look, you know, understand the, the key concepts. Um, so you have to make sure it's that, um, that that's out of the way. And um, like I had a problem with, um, Cassandra Cardinal, she got, she was doing what's called an inward four, three and a half, where you stand on the end of the tower, facing the back of the tower, and you throw into the tower, and mm -hmm. uh, and she didn't, she didn't tell me that uh, she got lost. She went to a meet in China, and I with her, she got lost and you know smacked in the water, and then it happened one other time in warm up, and she came home, and never told me that. But then she let it build up, mm. and um, um, <laughs> I, you know, I got to the point where if I mentioned, if I said 403C, which is inward three and a half tuck, and she would start to cry, and wow. so we really had to regress, and um, 
Uh, I, again, I use respondent conditioning and try to recondition her. But the first thing we found was that there was a technical issue. She wasn't seeing the water and we had to resolve that. Mm -hmm. But then we had to go back and we had to, it's really, it's called um, a desensitization, you know, trying to, um, uh, may, we would start simple with her standing just simply on the one meter platform backwards because she wouldn't even do that. Wow. And it, it took about six months, but we got her back. So, but, but I think a lot of it, you know, one, if it's not a technical issue, you know, like you're studying at home and you're doing the right sorts of things, and then you show up for our, um, an exam and you blank, you know, now, now we've got, got some other, you know, uh, that's where I would invoke the um, mental skills, you know, yeah. to, to get them around that. And um, um, every, every problem has a solution. I mean, but you, you know, the, the solution, sometimes students and athletes make the mistake that the solution is, well, if I, if I don't think about it, I'll be fine. I'll get over it. Well, maybe, maybe not, right? I mean, <laughs> I've had athletes that say, well, I know it's a big meet, it's Olympic trials, but I'll be okay. It's like, hell no, you're not going to be okay. It's probably one of the most, it, the, I think it's more stressful. I've had a lot of Olympians tell me it's more stressful than the Olympic Games. Um, wow. But I, I said, you know, you have to know in advance that you are going to be nervous. Prepare for that, right? So if it's an exam, I used to tell students, okay, prepare you now and, and then we'd sit down and, and listing out all the things you can do to help prepare yourself mentally um, for for that performance which I think you know taking an exam is a performance right and you gotta yeah. you gotta have that focus you gotta be you know um, if your anxiety level goes up it's not just your heart racing right it's your mind that can race you know and I've yeah. had kids tell me you know like hey you know, looked at the, the test and just drew a blank. So there's a lot you can do. And, and um, um, I'm not sure I want to go into all of that, but um, I think that the key is to recognize it and, and not to carry it with you. I mean, you know, if you had a bad exam and you had another one, um, do something about it. Don't just sit there and wallow in your own self-pity and, <laughs> and expect things to change on their own. I think yeah. one of the most important things that I liked about coaching was empowering people, getting them to believe that they control the situation. The things that they can control, they can control. Yeah. I think one of the interesting things that I actually noticed in, um, well, I was talking to uh, Dr. Edward Hurd about this, is he said that there's this, he essentially not discovered, but he, um, he did a lot of research into this idea called self-handicapping and the fact that some people will be so afraid of failure. Some people will be so afraid, like Cassandra in those six months, I'd assume, that the mindset is, well, I might as well just not try, right? Because if I try, then I'm going to have to go through this whole, you know, this whole rejection period of, well, I tried as hard as I possibly could and failed, right? Like that's a pretty miserable mental state to be in, but some people, they self-handicap, they go through this, this, we'll say backwards mental process and say, well, then I might as well not try. If I don't try, then I don't fail. And then I always could, I could always look back on the future and say, well, look back on the past and say, well, you know, maybe it was someone else's fault or maybe, you know what, I just never tried. So, so it's really not a, 
I, ne- I really never failed. So yeah. I, yeah. Did you experience a lot of that? Some, I mean, I think it's what he's talking about is maybe attribute theory where you're attributing your, your um, successes and failures to either external or internal. And um, that's a big part of it. Yeah. Yeah. I've seen that. Um, yeah. Yeah. Um, and, you know, I, I think, first of all, it's important that athletes understand that who they are as a human being and their, their self-worth is not tied to how they finish in a competition. And I know yeah. I, I struggled with that as an athlete and I had a lot of ass. And, you know, and, and to try to put that aside and say, it isn't about you as a person. It's just about, you know, how good can you be? You know, what yeah. is it you want to be? I mean, I mean, for, for a lot of athletes, I sit down and, and we, we might start, we will start the season with and let's say they say well i want to be a big 10 champion we never talk about that again Mm. what we talk about are all the things that they can they have to do and can control in order to become and so it's never about big 10 champion it's just about the doing about getting immersed in that and doing and 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 so i think at the end of the day when it comes down to the end of the season they recognize hey i've done everything you know I couldn't have done anymore. You know, I let the haze in the barn. Now I'm just going to go out there, use my mental skills, focus, and and let the chips fall where they may. And I used to tell them, I said, you know, the wheels are going to fall off. Let it be all four. But go out there. Mm-hmm. It's your it's your it's your party. Take your dance. You've earned it. Go wow. out there. Be aggressive. Do your thing. And wherever you fall, wherever you you know, fine. Who cares? Because all you want to do is look back and say, I gave my best effort, right? Because that's the Olympic creed. Yeah. I mean, it's all, it's all about giving your best effort. It's not about who you are as a person. I think, so I think framing that and, and parents at an early age can have a negative impact on, on kids about that, you know, like, well, you got to beat so-and-so or, Hey, if you win, I'll give you, you know, five bucks or whatever, but it's, it's gotta be more about just a, you know, personal best and, and enjoying the process too. My God, I tell my athletes that if you, how do you dive out there without, without having your hands around your neck? If you think that everything, every performance hit is all about you and how people are going to perceive you and, you know, how you're going to perceive yourself and your self-worth. So I think that, that has to get straightened out. And I know as an athlete, you know, I went home after a miserable nationals and asked myself, why am I diving? Yeah. You know, and it's like, I'm diving because I want to go out there and, and just show in, in the heat of the, the battle, my best performances. You know, and I got, I got kind of, I don't know what happened is I went to a national, the best shape of my life and not miss, right? And, and, and that, that happened. I didn't miss a dive, but I also didn't hit a single dive. It was the most unsatisfying hmm. uh, experience of my, my athletic career. And so I went home and it's like, never again. It's not about that. It's about going out and doing my best. And I don't care if I F up on something, you know, as long as I'm going after it. So, yeah, that's so one of the. That's one of the things that I think we miss about about athletic achievement, especially, is that most of the thing that most of the part of athletics that makes it really interesting is the psychological aspect of it. Like I was watching, you know, there, there's there's a crazy, crazy interesting phenomenon in basketball. I don't know how much you've been keeping up with the playoffs recently, but so interesting in the fact that for whatever reason, 
The Nets were the number one team in the league. They were the best. Everybody thought they were going to win the whole thing. And the Knicks were just a four seed that were coming in. You know, the Nets were number essentially one, but they were number two. And um, and the, the Knicks were a four seed. And they sold ticks for the Nets and the Knicks game. And everybody went to the Knicks game and nobody wanted to go to the Nets game for whatever reason. And, and the reason is because, well, the Knicks were more exciting. The Knicks overcame such a tremendous obstacle of not as good of players. You know, this, the idea of um, miracle on ice, right? Like not as good of player Rudy too, not as good of players. You know, they, they didn't really come off. At, they, they were the underdogs. They had all these things that really were going on for them. And and they were the more interesting story. You know, there was also the game seven of the, of the Nets, uh, the Nets playing against the Bucks the other day. It really wasn't a battle of athletic achievement. It wasn't who was going to score the most points. Everyone was just interested in Kevin Durant and Giannis Antetokounmpo. They were saying, yeah. how far can they go? How many points can they score? You know, how far is their limit? They played the entire game. They played 48 minutes straight, which nobody ever yeah. does, and then went into overtime and played the whole thing, which is the entire yeah. game. And the question is, who's going to win the battle? right? Like who's the one who has the most mental fortitude to go on. And, and I think that's one of the most impressive things about diving too. in in that, you know, you look at someone like Cassandra and you say, okay, great. She was Olympian, but you look at her story, you look at her limitations and how she was able to overcome that. And that's the thing that makes it so incredible. Yeah. 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 It's interesting. Um, I did see that the, was it the Bucks beat the the Nets or yeah yeah Kevin Durant got beat game seven yeah that was a hell of it yeah I know that was a battle of, that was a battle of wills I honestly think that uh well that was the thing actually if you want to get into psychology this this absolutely blew me away so you have Kevin Durant he played 48 minutes it's 12 quarters of four 12 minute quarters four minutes so we literally played the entire game 48 minutes going into it and he made the game-winning shot to send it into overtime. So the game-tying shot to send it into overtime. And he scored, I think it was like 50 points. It was absolutely incredible. But what happened was he worked so hard in that little over, in that, in the end of the regulation period, that by the time overtime came, he took a break, he took a rest. And I think he believed that that it was going to be it. Like he was going to end after 48 minutes and he was putting all of his juices in that. By the time it came to overtime, he had nothing left in him. Zero, zero. And I don't even think it was a physical thing because five minutes ago, when, when there were 47 minutes left on the clock, he was doing completely fine. But once you get into the overtime period, the point where, you know what, he didn't really expect for that to happen. For, for overtime to come, he completely broke down and he airballed the three to lose the game. Yeah. The, the one that sent him into overtime was, um, if he'd have been just a little bit further back, it would have been a three-pointer, not a two-pointer, and they would have won the game. So. And they would have won the game. Yeah. I will I will tell you, I don't know. I've been on both sides. I've, I've, I've been on the heartbreak side and I've been on the, like, the Victoria side. And you it's harder to forget the heartbreaks. I mean, it's just, yeah. uh, you know, one year we had, uh, we lost a, a big 10, three different athletes, the big 10 championship and NCAA and the U S national championship. We lost all three of those by total of six points, which in diving is like half a, half a point 
more from one judge on one die in each of those. Wow. And uh, it was it was uh, it was a tough pill to swallow, but uh, we came back. But yeah, it's uh, it sticks with I, you. I don't yeah. miss I don't miss that at all. Yeah, I mean, the hardest thing I think is to go in the locker room after a game like that and find the words the right words to say to your team. Yeah. As a coach, from what I, from what I, I did read about it, but I mean, he had a hell of a game. I mean, incredible. So, but yeah, but you well, know that going in, you take your you take your chances. Um, you know, you you can lose, but uh, as part well, of the game. Well, that's one of the things that that we were talking about before, and I think that's a that's a crazy difficult thing to work to worry about is like Kevin Durant you you know your team you guys put your all into it right this this is not one of those where you didn't try as hard as you could or you know there was there was some there was some effort problem or whatever it was both teams reached their individual potential both teams went as high as they could possibly go they did their best and it still wasn't enough and I think I think that I agree. That seems like, uh, well, I, I've, I've experienced something like that. It's like that, that's the thing that's probably the most heartbreaking. Yeah. I think what's more heartbreaking though, is if you, if you look back and you said, <clears throat> I should have worked harder, you know, I should have been more aggressive, blah, blah. blah. Yeah. I mean, that's, and that's all I ever asked my athletes. I said, I just, you know, I don't care where you finish. I just want you to be able to look back and, you know, and say, you know, <clears throat> I left it all all there. You know, I, I did everything I could. You know, yeah. And, and so. Yeah, there was yeah. a there's a great quote by uh by a famous motivational speaker named Jim Rohn, Jim Rohn, and he said uh he said discipline. You will feel one of two pains in life: discipline and regret. The only difference is that discipline weigh, weighs ounces, while regret weighs tons. I think. Yeah. 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 I, th- I think I think I think what you did with the with your entire career is something that's so so incredible. You were able to overcome some of the things that Americans in general are struggling so much today on the, the idea of discipline, the idea of becoming elites, and the idea of well, getting up off the couch right and doing these things and and actually bring people to the opposite problem of working too hard i mm-hmm. i <laughs> i commend you and um and well thank you for coming on this is an absolutely incredible podcast well thank you nick you did a great job and uh, some great questions i really um enjoyed it and uh um thanks for asking me to join your podcast all right awesome thank you thank you so much for coming on <laughs> okay All right, you take care.